good news. If you're here, God isn't done with you yet. Life is full of seasons, and each season brings with it new beginnings. New life. These seasons are full of opportunity and uncertainty. Their endings are often bittersweet. But each ending carries the promise of a new beginning. Well, good morning. It's good to see each one of you. We're glad that you're here, and we want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us from um, one of the other venues here at Long Point or uh, online or maybe at an off-site campus. We're glad that you guys are along, too. It's a great weekend to come to Seacoast, especially if you want to get connected. It's a large church, sometimes hard to get connected. You know, I, I think they told me about around 14,000 people are attending weekly now. And you go, wow, how do you get connected in that type of an environment? Well, you can only ever know about 150 people, and you can only really know well about 50 people. And so what we've done is we've divided our church down into groups that, you know, 10, 12 people who know 10, 12 people, and, and you can get connected. And uh, this week is a great week to do it uh, in the foyer here and in the various campuses uh, you can join small groups. There are new classes starting. Financial peace, how many of you could use a little financial peace? We're uh, starting some financial peace classes you can sign up for. My father has moved here from the Los Angeles area, and uh, he's going to do a Bible study for seniors. And uh, he's old as dirt. He's got a lot of wisdom. And, uh, you know, Noah actually ordained him. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, he'll be out in the foyer here signing people up for Bible studies. And so, if you need to connect, this is a great weekend uh, to do it. Hey, uh, speaking of old, has any of you, anybody here, remember a famous speech by President Ronald Reagan at the Berlin Wall? Anybody remember that? Remember that? Remember the Ber Berlin Wall? Just to bring it up to speed, you know, after World War II, they partitioned Berlin uh, into two places. And the communists built a wall there ostensibly to keep too many people from coming in, but nobody really wanted to come in, everybody wanted to leave. And it kept people from going out. It was a scary place. I mean, you could get shot. A lot of people did, uh, trying to escape from East Berlin. In 1987, uh, that wall was built in 61, I guess. In 1987, uh, Reagan uh, gave a speech. And if you remember that, or you can go on YouTube and see it, great speech. And, and he ends it with Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And then just a few years later, it actually happened and it set millions of people free. That wall uh, was a symbol of both oppression and freedom. Now, uh, it's, just, uh, it's just, just a relic that reminds us of what was once there. Now, honestly, most of the powerful, intimidating walls that we'll see in our lives are invisible, actually. They're inside of each of us, and they take away the freedom that God has intended for each of us to walk in and to enjoy. Now, how many of you are familiar with electric dog collars? Anybody know? Got, got one of those? Yeah, they kind of look like this. They, they work like you put them on like this. They actually work for your grandkids, too. They're, they're great. <laughs> they really are. They're not abusive. They're just... 
They're just good control things. And uh, what happens is they've got a little electric shock in there, and it, and it shocks the dog until he figures out what his boundaries are. Okay, they, I don't go over there anymore because it doesn't, doesn't feel good. But, and after a while, you can actually take the collar off, and the dog won't challenge the edges of the boundaries. And I thought about that. And there are a lot of us that have invisible walls that limit our freedom. There are walls of shame or addiction, poverty, broken relationships. And they keep us inside an invisible boundary. And for many of us, the reason for the wall is long gone. The collar has been taken off. But it's still limited by the boundary, the invisible wall. Well, in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 5, 1, on your outline sheet, if you've got one, you can follow along or up on the screen, or if you've got your Bible with you, that's great. It says this. In fact, let's read it out loud here and in the campuses. Can we do that? It is for freedom. A lot of times when we read out loud, we move our lips. Let's try it, let's try it again, okay? <laughs> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I love that. It is for freedom's sake, freedom, high value, that Christ has set us free. God wants to tear down invisible, artificial walls in our lives. But the question is, how? How do we tear them down? We're in a series right now. It's a new series. Sounds a lot like the old series. What actually happened was, so we did a series, and Josh, we were just going to do four or five weeks, and, and you guys are loving it, we're loving it, so we said, well, let's push back something else we're going to do, and uh, we'll just rebrand this one, because the other one was Joshua Take the Land, and this one now is um, Joshua A New Beginning. They're, they're in the new land, now what do you do? You've got a new leader, Joshua, leading a group of people, Israel, into the promised land, and promised land literally means just a better place. God has a better place for them, and the first thing they encounter in this better place is a, is a walled city called Jericho, and it's got huge walls, huge walls. How big are they? Well, the first wall is 12 feet, and then there's a wall that's kind of built on top of that that's uh, between 20 and 26 feet, and it's all a tell or a mound, so you get, if you got, got through that second wall, you uh, there's a mud wall there that's 20 to 25 feet high. So you got three walls, and they're huge, an impenetrable city, and uh, they've got to get through if they're going to possess the land. And, and I thought about this. If, if God has land for you to possess too, we've been talking about that for several weeks, but he's got a promised land, which is a better place for you, for your marriage, for your family, maybe finances, maybe in your spiritual life. I know for us as a church, he has a, a better place. But there are some walls that are going to need to come down. And so today I want to talk about the Joshua Guide to Wall Removal. And normally I do three things. This week it's seven. Say seven together. Seven. I have 35 minutes total, so I have to talk fast. So I'm going to talk a lot faster than I do. I, normally I talk slow, so I'll talk fast. We'll get through it. Does that sound good? Okay, we'll get us through as many as we can. All right, so here we go. <clears throat> Seven ideas from Joshua that I think are powerful things on how we can remove walls in our own life. Number one, fall on your face and surrender everything to God. 
See, I believe that the key that unlocks the door to leadership, did a leadership talk last week, the key that unlocks the door to walls coming down is surrender. We're going to uh, study Joshua chapter 5, halfway through, or the second half, and then Joshua chapter 6. And let's start at Joshua 5 verse 13, see what, it, what happens there. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him, he challenges him. He asks, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Joshua has two categories. You're either for us or you're against us. The guy says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Wow. There's a lot there. We don't have time to really unpack it. But a lot of times we think there's two sides, us and them. And we hope that God is on our side. Right? God is on our side. God loves the Broncos. He does not love New England at all. Okay? <laughs> Bunch of cheaters, you know. And... Uh, can I get an amen there? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm starting to, starting to preach right now. And so, <clears throat> that's what we think, that God's for this team or that team. And He's not. <clears throat> he's not. He's not for your team. In fact, he's, you know, it's not about you and me. It's about, um, it's about God. And even with the Israelites, you know, God is their God. But he says, I'm, I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. You need to be on my side. See, and when you pray, don't just pray, God, bless what I'm doing. Say, God, what are you doing? Let me, let me get, what are you blessing? Let me do that. Let me be a part of that whole, that whole deal. There's just a lot there. We won't go into it anymore because New England fans are feeling a little sensitive on the front row right here, in fact. Yeah, that's good. So then, uh, so it says, I, I, neither, he says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And then Joshua <clears throat> fell face down to the ground in reverence. As Joshua f- approaches the biggest battle of his life, he encounters God and he falls in worship before him, surrendering his plans. No doubt he had plans. He's a, he's a leader. He's an army leader, military leader. He was before he became the ultimate leader there. He's got plans and he surrenders them to God. He says, uh, here, here it is, and that stunning surrender led to a victory at Jericho. And here's the paradox. Victory comes through surrender. Surrender doesn't weaken you, it strengthens you. In fact, um, if you surrender to God, you don't have to fear or surrender to anything else. Here's the question, what do you need to surrender to God? Maybe it's your plans. Maybe it's your past regrets that are causing a wall. Maybe it's your present problems. And it's a big wall. Or your future ambitions or your fears, your dreams. What is it? Your failures. What do you need to surrender to God? In the words of the great theologian, Carrie Underwood. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. It's time. Okay? You need to give it to him. Don't be afraid. Nothing under his control can ever be out of control. Okay? So the first thing you do is you surrender if you're going to tear down a wall. Second thing you do is listen for a current word from God for your situation. What is God saying right now? See, I believe that you are a current word from God away from a breakthrough in your marriage. Current word from God away from a breakthrough in your spiritual life or in your business. You need a word from God. Look at 
Joshua. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? So the first thing you do is you surrender, and the second thing you do is say, what's your plan? What's your current word for me today? So here's the question, how do you get a current word? I mean, it would be handy if the, if the commander of the army of the Lord would appear in front of you, you know, but he's not here. He is in sense, by spirit, but he's not physical body here. So how do you get a current word from God? Let me give you some ideas. First thing you're going to have to do is turn off some distractions. Turn off some distractions. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. You're going to have to turn off your iPhone. You're going to have to turn off the television. You have to get quiet and be still and know then that I am God. Then you can hear God. Here's another thing. Just ask him a question. That's what, that's what Joshua did. What, what, what's the current word? What, what, what should I do? And that's so important. Ask God a question. I do it several different ways. Um, if I want a current word from God, the first place I'm going to look is in the Bible. Because that is his eternal word. Most of what God is going to say or has said is right there. Okay? So I want to take advantage of that. So I'll search it. I'll even use Google to search it. You know, just Google, what, is, what does the Bible say about whatever it happens to be? And, uh, and then just kind of read through the Bible on whatever it is that I'm trying to make a decision on. Or sometimes I'll ask a question on my knees. Just slow down, get on my knees in my office or at, at the house. And just say, God, what's your word here? Sometimes I'll do it before I go to bed at night. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but if I've got something heavy on my heart, it sometimes makes it hard to sleep. Is there anybody else like that? And the Bible says, don't worry, be happy. No, that's, who said that? No. It says, don't worry, instead pray. And so what I do is, is I do that. And I'll, I'll say, God, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. I want to sleep well. And so I'm going to let you worry about my stuff. Here's a question that I have. And then I'll go to sleep. And sometimes in the morning, I'll have the answer. It's cool. God will speak to me. If I don't have the answer by the time I wake up, I get it in the shower. Something about that hitting your head with the water. Seriously, with me, that is true. That's true. Um, you know, so, <clears throat> so uh, ask questions. Didn't record your impressions. Record your impressions. Write it down. My grandfather used to tell me, son, if you feel like God's speaking to you, you write it down because the devil, he'll steal it from you. My grandpa was black and white, devil God, you know, and, and it's, it's been helpful to me. I write everything down. And then get confirmation. <clears throat> get confirmation. Sometimes your word from God is just bad burritos. I mean, I've had people over the years tell me stuff that they think God's told them to do and they're acting on it. I'm thinking, seriously? I don't say that because I'm nice. But it's like, really? You think, wow, that's interesting. And what they need is they need confirmation. They need somebody in their life that loves them but is not impressed with them. Do you have people like that? People in your life that love you, but they're not impressed with you. Do you have anybody in your life that can tell you no? If you don't, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Now, you don't want people that say no all the time. Let them be somebody else's friend. But you need people in your life that, that love you, but they can tell you no. Can you think of somebody right now in your life that can tell you, I mean, I believe it's God, I believe it's God. No, it's not God. Do you have somebody like that? Okay, you need it. 
Tear down walls. Surrender on your knees. Get a current word. Number three, determine to do it God's way regardless of how unconventional it may seem. Did you get that? Determine to do it God's way regardless of how unconventional it may seem. Now, unconventional doesn't necessarily mean weird. How of you know some weird Christians? Anybody know weird Christians? Don't point. Don't point. Okay. Weird Christians. They're all on Facebook, right? And they all type in all caps. All caps. Now, if you type in all caps, you may not be weird, but everybody thinks you are. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Unconventional doesn't mean weird. Conventional warfare at the time of Joshua. Okay, you got a city, walls. How are we going to do it? Uh, they, conventional warfare is you did a siege. Okay? With a siege, that means that you surrounded the city and didn't let anything come in or go out. Starve them out for maybe a year or however long that their supplies lasted, you'd starve them out. This happened all the time. Or, or you'd do that along with building a wall, a rampart wall that would go up. We saw that at Masada when we were at, in, in Israel. And uh, you, you build a wall, you get closer, and then you lob arrows, fiery arrows, into the place and burn it up. But in either of those, which was conventional, you're going to suffer some casualties. Okay? There's, God's way was unconventional. Look at it. It's in the verses. Joshua uh, 6, verses 3 through 5. March around the city once with all the armed men. And then do this for six days. One time and go sit down. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets... Have the whole army give a loud shout. Okay, so, so we thought we'd demonstrate that. We went to Israel and we bought some uh, ram's horn trumpets. These are shofars, okay? And uh, a couple of them, a small one and a big one. And this is what the priests were doing. They were blowing these. Now, I was going to blow one of these. And the guy that bought this said, you can do it. He, he was going to have a training. He did have a training for me last night before the Saturday night service. And he blew it and it sounded beautiful. And I blew it, and I nearly passed out. I did. It was awful, and you just get that going on, and I thought, what if that, and he said, it's easy. well, he was a trumpet player, okay? So I thought, well, I can fix that. I'm not a trumpet player, but I found an app for shofars. So here we go, right here. One more. Did you get that? Yeah, that's how it goes. Think about this. If Joshua would have had an app, he wouldn't have had to pay the worship team. Okay, let's go on. So, it was unconventional. He said, give a loud shout, then the walls will collapse and the army will go up. Unconventional, but there were no, no casualties. So you can tear down walls in your life the hard way, or you can do it God's way. Let me give you an example. Maybe there's a wall in your marriage. It's a wall in your marriage. What's conventional warfare? Do a siege. Starve them out and lob in occasional fiery arrows. That happens all the time. How's that working for you? <laughs> Somebody's going to get hurt. I will guarantee you that. 
Or you can have unconventional warfare. It's found in Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone like each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And some of you ladies right now that there's a wall up in your marriage, you are so glad I said that. Because you're hoping he'll hear that. Because he needs to ask for forgiveness. He really does. He's done some things and he needs to ask for forgiveness. And I would say, maybe you should do it first. Well, I can't do it first. That would admit, be admitting defeat. Exactly. Somebody's going to have to admit, you know, be the first one to say, I'm sorry. Okay? And why, why, why isn't it you? Look at the next verse. Say so you're picking on ladies. Well, let's go to the next one. Submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Ephesians 5.21. Now, there are guys, Christian guys, that the only, the only word or verse they know in the Bible is submit. I know it's in there somewhere. It says, she's supposed to submit to me. Submit to me. Submit. Well, you know, right here it says to submit to one another. And if you'll be the one that submits, guys, first, then she'll be able to submit even better. And then you do it better back and you try to outserve one another. That's unconditional or unconventional warfare. But people don't get hurt in this kind of warfare. Or maybe it's in your finances. Conventional warfare would be, man, we got a wall in our finances. Let's refinance. You know, let's consolidate those loans. We did it last year. Let's do it again. Well, that's probably going to hurt somebody. Or unconventional warfare is to trust God. And say, okay, let's take a financial peace class. Let's figure out how do you do it God's way? Because if you do it God's way, God says, I will bless it when you do it my way. And so Philippians 4 and verse 19 says, and my God will meet all of your needs, all, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so when's the last time you said, you know what, I'm going to trust God on this one? You know, we could go down all kinds of walls, tear them down. You surrender, you listen, you do it God's way no matter how unconventional. Let me give you a fourth one. This is one that I really didn't see until recently. Look at this. Make sure you protect God's presence in your life. Make sure you protect God's presence in your life. If you determine you're going to surrender to God, you're going to get a fresh word from Him, you're going to do it God's way, the enemy will do his best to pick off the presence of God in your life. You have an enemy. First uh, Peter 5 says that you have an enemy that is like a roaring lion. He, he roams around seeking whom he may devour. You have an enemy. What's he trying to devour? God's presence in your life. Because God's presence in your life is what gives victory. God's presence in your life is what gives peace. God's presence in your life is what allows you to live the life that Jesus said, I've come that you might... Uh, um, have life and have it more fully, more full, the full life. It comes from the presence of God. So what's the enemy trying to steal? The presence of God in your life. And how does that happen? It happens through distraction, through compromise, through doubt. Look how Joshua protected the presence of God in his life and, and in, the, in the country, how important it was. So Joshua, son of Nun, next verse, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of you. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And look at the next verse. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpet 
and the rear guard followed the ark. At this time, the trumpets were sounding. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. So there's, a, there's an armed guard in front and behind. Why? Because Joshua knew that the enemy, when they got smart, would try to capture the presence of God. We find it later, we find it later in Israel's existence when an enemy finally figures out, hey, God's on their side and God's in that box. Now, God's out of the box now. He's in our hearts. But still, the enemy will try to capture the presence of God. And so, and so Joshua sets up a guard. Question is, what's your plan to protect the presence of God in your life? What is it? Let me give you some ways to do it. Slow down. Slow down. We live in a fast-paced world. Did you, uh, did you see the story this week on the football player that gave his son's participation trophies back? Did you see that? Guy was an NFL player. His sons were like little league players or something. And, um, and they got participation trophies because that's the politically correct environment we live in. Everybody wins these days. And so he said, we're not going to do that in my house. I don't want my kids trained that way. I want them to know that you don't get rewarded unless you do something to get the reward. And so he gave them back. And I thought, boy, that's interesting. And then I thought about us and this, and this sermon. I thought some of us have a shelf full of participation trophies that we need to give back. We're busy. But people ask us, participate in this. Participate in this. And what we need to do is we, we say, look at our lives and say, we're not winning at anything. We need, to, we need to give this participation trophy back, that participation trophy back. It may not be a terrible thing, but it's just not the right thing for right now because I want to protect the presence of God in my life. You're never going to slow down unless you give something away. We've got to slow down. Slow down. Second thing you do is guard your heart. Guard your heart. Above, above all else, Proverbs 4. What does above all else mean? That means this is the most important thing. The, who wrote Proverbs? Not a trick question. Who wrote it? Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man in the world. He's giving instructions to his son. He's, wrote, he's written lots and lots of leadership books and wisdom books and he says to his son, let me give you the most important piece of information that I'm going to give you above all else, he says. Guard your heart. Because everything you do flows out from, I've said many times over the years, that your quality of life is not determined by what's going on outside of you. It's determined by what goes on between your ears. That's your heart. And he says, guard it, guard it, guard it. You've got to guard the presence of God. How? There was a little kind of nursery rhyme, or I don't know what it was, a little wisdom thing when I was a kid that said, be careful little eyes what you see. Did you hear that one? Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little mouth what you say. That's guarding the presence of God in your life. There are a lot of things you shouldn't see. You don't need to see that. You've got to guard that. I'm not going to see that. There, there, are, there are things you shouldn't hear. No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be a part of that. Why? Because I'm guarding the presence of God in my life. I want to win in life, not just get by. Okay? There are a lot of things you shouldn't say. Everybody else is saying it, that's okay, but it's not a part of my plan because I'm guarding the presence of God in my life. I'm tearing down walls and I want to win, not just participate. That'll preach. I don't have time. And then pray continually. That's how you guard the presence of God in your life. Pray continually. You say, how do you do that? How do you pray all day? Can you? I think you can. Not every moment, but you do it regularly and it brings the presence of God into your life. Uh, I do it through technology because I'm just that way. And uh, I have uh, 14 grandchildren, four kids, a wife, a staff, 
500 art church planners and just all kind of responsibility in my life. And I feel like I need to pray for people. And some specifically regularly. And, uh, and if I just did that early in the morning, I'd, I'd be there all day. And so what I do is I, uh, I, I, I set reminders throughout the day on my phone to remind me to pray for somebody. And then now it comes to my watch. Isn't that cool? Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. <laughs> You're judging. My kids bought me that. So it just, boom, just goes like this. And so I pray for uh, you sometimes. Okay? So anyway, but that brings the presence of God into my life. So if you're going to tear down walls, you need to surrender, listen, do it God's way, protect God's presence. Let me give you a couple more. Don't quit too soon. Don't quit too soon. You know, sometimes when we don't see results right away, we quit. How many times do we have to go around this wall? Boy, we've been around this wall. Seems like we're doing this every day. We've been around this wall Man, I know we've been around this wall at least six times. I'm tired of doing this. And so we quit. We quit. Sometimes we just put false finish lines. It's not because, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're tired of doing something. It's, it's, there's just a false finish line. Um, I don't know if you are. I take antibiotics every once in a while. I had my nose broken a few times when I was younger. and So um, it traps stuff and it's, Whatever, you don't want to hear. But anyway, so I'll get an infection and they'll give me antibiotics. How long are you supposed to take antibiotics? 10 days. These big old huge Mongo pills were never meant to go down your throat. 10 days, 10 days. How long do I take them? Until I feel good. Three days, four days. Feel great. Hey, I'm feeling good. False finish line. Quit taking them. What happens? Here it is again. Here it is again. We, get, we have false finish lines. If God didn't answer my prayer by August 31st, I'm just not going to do it. Who are you to tell God to answer your prayer by August 31st? See, we get instructions from God, not give God instructions on how to do it. You resign as general manager of the universe. He does just fine, okay? <laughs> and so, and so d- d- don't quit. God's instructions... To Joshua was marched once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, seven times, on the final blast from the shofar, what if they would have stopped on day six? What if they would have stopped on day seven, six times around the wall? What a, what a shame that would be. Let me ask you, what are you thinking about quitting on right now? You may be one lap from a wall coming down. One lap. Galatians 6 and verse 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will at the proper time. What's the proper time? I don't know. That's God's deal. And that's not my deal. I tell pastors all the time, that, you know, that, that, that the harvest is coming. When is it coming? I don't know. That's God's responsibility. My responsibility is to learn how to do good, make good repeatable, that's systems of good, and not quit. Those three things. God's responsibility is the harvest, the time of the harvest, the size of the harvest. That's not my deal. That's not my deal. That's God's, okay? So if you're going to tear down walls, surrender, listen, do it God's way, protect God's presence, don't quit. Number six, usually you need to declare victory before it actually happens rather than after it happens, before it happens. How many of you lived in Charleston when we had two bridges that went over 
the Cooper River Bridge into the downtown area. How many of you lived in Charleston then? Okay, quite a few. All right, here's a quiz. What were the names of the bridges? The Grace and the Perman. Which was the old bridge? Which was the new bridge? The new bridge was the Perman. It was new. It was built in 1966. It was a disaster. The old bridge was the Grace Bridge. You remember that one? That the Grace Bridge was built in 1929. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 100, the government measures this stuff every year. Bridges are rated 1 to 100. It was a 4. <laughs> it was, listen, for those of you who are new to Charleston, you missed it. It was 20 feet wide and it had two lanes. Why was it called the Grace Bridge? <laughs> That's right. A lot of people came to Jesus <laughs> and got closer to Jesus the closer they got to downtown Charleston. Oh, God, give me grace, give me grace, give me grace. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We made it. <laughs> One of the happiest days of our lives, those of us who live, because that's how you got from Mount Pleasant to Charleston. One of the happiest days of our lives was when they blew it up. <laughs> oh, it was incredible. I mean, they talked about we're going to do it. They told you when they're going to blow it up. People got in boats, people along the shores. We were watching on TV, and when it exploded, we what? We cheered. Yes, the bridge came down. And they gave us a brand new bridge. It was awesome. Well, that's fun, but that's not how God did it. Jericho. He had a whole different instruction. Look at this. Says the seventh time around, when the priest shouted the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I can imagine being one of the soldiers there. We've been marching for six days once a day, and then now we're on the seventh day, and we've been around it seven times. I wonder if this is going to work. I'm so tired of this. I'm hungry. Joshua's an idiot. I don't know. This is ridiculous. We should have been lobbing arrows up there and building a wall. Seventh time, Joshua announces, God has given us this city. Really, there's a wall right there. <laughs> Joshua says, shout with joy. Joshua, usually we do that after the wall falls down. We don't do it before. Here's a principle. When you shout, <laughs> applaud, give, give thanks after it falls down, that's called gratitude. You should do that. When you do it before it falls down, that's called faith. And oftentimes, that's what's required for a wall to fall down, is faith. You've got to say it before you see it. And sometimes you have to say it until you see it. You say, well, how do you do that? You already know how to do that. I mean, if I said right now, just a few minutes, service is going to be over and you're going to go to lunch. You hadn't been thinking about that, but suddenly you're thinking about it. And your brain believes everything that you tell it. So it goes to work. Hey, we're going to go. We're going to go. What am I going to eat? Where are we going to go? We're going to beat the Baptist to the restaurant or not. It depends on response time. And you just get all this stuff going on right here because you're, you're, you're saying it before you're doing it and you're going you're gonna to follow, follow through on it. 
And on the negative side, you do the same thing. You think, you know, I'm just not very smart. Or I'm a, I'm a failure. And I'm too young or I'm too old. Someone said that whatever follows I am follows you. Well, if that's the truth, I'd rather say I am blessed and highly favored by a Father God who loves me and a Jesus who died for me. Amen. See, apply the say it before you see it principle to your current wall. Number one, start believing that God has given you the land on the other side of the wall. Next, begin saying it before you see it and then continue to say it until you see it. Let's apply that to your marriage wall. Now, let me just say this because uh, recently I've, I've talked to especially females who talked to one recently applying this message and just crying and saying, does that mean I have to go back to my husband who abuses me? He's broken my jaw. I said, if your husband's broken your jaw, he should be in jail. You don't go back to that, okay? There are other principles that are higher than that. If you want to argue about that, I'll argue them, and, and I'll win, because <laughs> I know. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but let's take that out of the equation. Let's say you have the typical things that are going on. It's tense in your marriage, really tense. You haven't been talking. You don't feel anything. You haven't felt anything for a long time. What do you do? How do you apply this? Well, you know, you could do the conventional way and build a, starve them out, you know, throw fiery arrows in there. Or you can go, you know what, look, look yourself in the mirror when you get up in the morning and say it before you see it. I, I believe this is going to be the best year of our marriage yet. You don't believe that? No, you don't. Not the first time. But let's go f a few more times around. And then the next morning, I believe this is going to be the best year of our marriage yet. Okay? Or maybe you tell yourself, you know what, I'm more in love today than I was yesterday. Is that really true? I, I don't know. You might not feel a thing. I'm not going by what you're feeling. I'm going by what God's will is for you. And so I declare. I say it before I feel it. Does that make sense? And then even in speaking to your spouse, maybe you say, you know what? I know it's tough right now, but I believe that God has a, has a great plan for our marriage. I really do. You say it before you see it. Or maybe it's a family wall, you know? <laughs> you're having a challenge with your kids. I, I had a lady one time in the foyer here bring her daughter to me and tell me how bad her daughter was and then ask me to correct her. I'm like, you don't do that. You correct your own kids. I have a hard enough time with mine. But what I thought was, I thought what she's declaring over her daughter is terrible. That got, daughter is going to walk away from having been with her, with her mother and her pastor feeling shame about who she is and, and what she is. That's not, that's not God. I mean, you have to apply correction, but I believe you declare God's word over your children. We did that. We declared that they were the head, not the tail. We declared that they were going to be leaders in life, not losers in life. We declared that they were going to follow Jesus. We declared that they were going to be productive citizens. We declared good things over our kids. We said it before we saw it. And sometimes we had to say it in faith. Or a financial wall. Can declare that God has promised to meet my need. Grab a promise from God. Do it his way. 
When faced with a wall, you have a choice. You can verbalize your fear, which becomes contagious, or you can verbalize your faith, which sounds outrageous. I mean, I made that up myself, and I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) And when you do, you give God something to work a miracle with. Remember, cheering after the walls come down is gratitude. That's good. But cheering before the walls come down, that's faith. And that's even better. So if you want to tear down a wall, surrender everything to God, listen for a current word, commit to doing it God's way, regardless of how unconventional. Be sure to protect God's presence in your life. Don't quit too soon. Be ready to declare victory before you see it. Number seven is don't mess it up by touching stuff that God says not to touch. Israel messed it up. We'll talk about that next week. Not going to get into it this week. The principle is this. If it doesn't belong to you, don't even look at it. Don't even think about it. We'll teach on that next week. In conclusion, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. Can you identify a wall that needs to come down in your life? Can you? Maybe it's a relational wall or emotional wall. Maybe it's a wall of shame or grief, a financial wall, a physical wall. Here's what I want you to do. I gave you seven things. I don't expect you to do seven things. You can't do seven things. Not all at one time anyway. Why don't you circle one? What is the, what is the one thing that God seemed to, to stand out to you or the, the next step for you? At, during our response time, just pray and say, God, what's the one thing? The one thing. The one thing you need to do. Some of you are overachievers, you'll do too. Just circle one. Circle one. Is it surrender? Is it to listen? Is it to commit? protect, maybe persevere, maybe declare. And I'm going to pray right now that God will give you the strength and the grace to take a step toward him. And if you'll do that, I'll just bet he'll take a step toward you. And we'll see the beginning of a wall coming down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for your word and the promises in your word. I thank you also for the examples that we see like the example we saw today in Joshua. God, I ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. God, I pray that we would hear you, listen to you, that we would respond to you. Some of us, maybe for the very first time, we respond in faith. We declare it even before we see it. God, I ask that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.